something has to change, right? I, I feel like we're coming to a crisis point, and perhaps not just one crisis point, but many simultaneously. I, I don't know how other people cope, honestly. It's, it, it's a mind boggle because I know that I put so much effort into my functionality, my mental state, just survival, that it takes up all of my time. And to not put that effort in would be to lose hope in a better future. I see a massive economic struggle for so many people. I'm seeing people talk about and post about how their income has gone down relative to inflation, how property prices are rising and they're basically stuck renting because they won't get loans. I see people struggling to, you know, with with their job, being forced to take jobs, extra jobs, do work that they're not happy with. I see people struggling with information, what food to eat, when to eat, how to eat, struggling with addictions, what, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, people looking for a way out, scrambling. I see a society that is simultaneously more prosperous and abundant than ever, but that prosperousness and abundance nature, whatever the words would should go there, is precarious and held on by a thread, and that thread is propped up on a lot of geopolitical things that are tenuous at best. It doesn't take much of a a leap of logic to look at supply chains and just consider for a moment where we get our stuff from and the condition of the people that create the stuff that we can get so cheap. How is it that we are able to import food from around the globe from poorer countries, pay them a pittance, so we can have everything whenever we like it. Something that the the uh, coronavirus and now the issues war with um, between Russia and Ukraine that who knows where that's going to lead. But the 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 issues of supply chain was really interesting to me. I live in Australia, and my entire life up until coronavirus, I've not had to want for anything. In the sense that, and this is obvious, obvious privilege, but this is my point, that in the sense that there is always and eternally everything available. If I wanted to go to the shops to buy a certain product, it's there. If I wanted a certain food item, it's there. If I want a certain piece of equipment or technology, it's there. Even being, you know, in Australia, which is far away from Europe or America, the the infrastructure of my country and my government and the supply chains and logistics and all that sort of stuff enable me to, if I have the money, get almost instantly whatever I like. But then something like a coronavirus comes along, and now something like a a European war comes along, and supply chains are in question. You know, certain items can't be bought. Certain items get sold out from the shops and there's, you know, empty shelves. Petrol prices are going through the roof, right? And this this suggests or infers a primal fear in the populace that we simply haven't faced before. 
that, oh, oh no, we're all connected. Oh, oh God, this, this is real. It's very easy to, you know, look at the first world and go, well, I live in the first world and I've got first world problems. But we're all connected, right? And, and I, I, I just don't see this all lasting. I don't see it all continuing as, as it has been. You know, how, how, how long can the poorer countries that are producing these goods cheaply continue to do so without strong oppressive responses, right? Take, take climate, for example. Countries that, that haven't, um, modernized as much as the West has with cars, with electricity, with all of that sort of stuff. Their citizens want to, want to industrialize. They want to, they want to modernize. They want to get what we've got, understandably, right? We've got it and it's great. It's, it's, it's highly convenient. But the problem comes in the absolute amount of energy and waste and stuff that it will take to do that for these people. Now, I'm not saying what should or shouldn't happen. I'm not saying that I, I, I don't know the, the answer to this. I'm just seeing <laughs> the end is near, right? I'm, I'm seeing a problem on the horizon, one that I'm not sure that we will be able to deal with. And that's just down one path. What happens when we start to, 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 to modernize? What happens when everyone has a car? What happens when everyone has electricity? And then if the counter to that is as well, they don't deserve it or they shouldn't get it or we can't let them, now we've got a, a deep moral issue that is is uh, quite confronting when you think about it. Why shouldn't they? Why don't they? Or alternatively, do we deserve to have as much as we do? Because it's it's very easy to, to comp- contemplate lofty ideals, morality, philosophy, worth, when I'm sitting at home safe satiated, and I can sit back and philosophize over the world's problems. But there's a quote, don't know, don't know where it came from. You know, you've got to put down the philosophy pen and pick up a sword when the barbarians are at the gate, right? If, if things are under attack, if your way of life are under attack, we very quickly drop our ideals. We very quickly turn to barbarian barbarian nature to 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 animalistic nature to an us versus them to protect what we've got i'm not sure of the way out of any of these problems other than perhaps by technological advancement that enables everyone to stay where they are or ideally improving bringing up everyone at once sounds like a miracle you know, we, we need a miracle. We need God. We need alien technology. We need AI. We need something that will allow us to see outside of ourselves. Because from our narrow perspective, I'm just not sure how it will happen. You know, I talk to the average person and they're, they're concerned about their lives, right? Petrol prices are this. I can't buy this sort of house. I have to work this job. And all of their problems are legitimate and are concerning, right? It feels like these problems are on multiple levels. You talk to people like, I, I struggle with my mental health so much. And it's such an effort. And it's such a job 
to just maintain stability and functionality that I, I can't help but wonder if everyone's struggling. I look at people being addicted and all the things that I've mentioned. And then you say to that person, hey, what about, uh, what do you think will happen when, you know, people in the third world start getting cars and electricity and, you know, <laughs> there's people around the world that don't have drinking water right now. What happens when those people are driving cars? How are we going to deal with the the economic um, impact of those? Because those people need better paying jobs, right? Those people that are producing our rice and coffee and sugar for a pittance. Those people that are making, you know, different levels of this, but, you know, we're making our smart tech for a pittance so that we can have it relatively cheaply. What happens? What happens when global tech companies start directing even more so the, 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 the influences of government, right? When, when individual corporations and companies and people have more money and influence than entire countries, or regions of people, what does that do to the geopolitics, right? Perhaps this is globalized anxiety that I'm projecting, and I apologize. I apologize for planting these thoughts in your head. Um, I guess that's the risk that you take by listening to me, so <laughs> welcome. <laughs> um, but I just, I just wonder, you know, I'm looking at my desk right now, and I've got a couple of bottles of Water, bottled water. Now, I reuse my bottles, right? I reuse them. I fill them up with tap water and I reuse them because they're convenient. However, just by looking at them, I know that eventually I'm going to throw them out and they will go into the waste bin and that will be taken to a trash heap somewhere. And then for hundreds or thousands of years, those bottles will just sit there. <laughs> think, think, of, think of everything you've ever owned, right? Everything you've ever owned forever, all of the computers, the shoes, the clothes, the bottles, the the wrappers, the the bags, the tech, the everything. That stuff that you threw out is still somewhere. It still exists in some form, right? <laughs> some of it would have been recycled. Some of it may be composted. Some of it may be reused or resold. But the absolute vast majority of that stuff just from you is somewhere. Where is it? Where is it? And how is it not overflowing? I just, it boggles the mind because like I consider all of the stuff that me, just one single person has, has done, has wasted just to, to, just to exist, just to, just to get by in life. You know, I'm just a regular guy, right? I try to to reuse, I try to be socially conscious, whatever, but I'm not anything special. I would like to think that I'm doing far less than waste than others, but if I look at myself, it's like, mm, maybe not. You know, I've got, a, I've got an old shitty car that I haven't just replaced and stuff. I don't know if that's good or bad because it requires maintenance and, you know, it might not be as efficient as other cars. You know, I don't even know the answer to the half these questions that buckles the mind because getting information is a whole nother problem that we can get into. But even so, all of that waste that I myself has caused is somewhere. And I, I, I shudder to think at the just the, the, the space that all of that waste would take up. Now multiply that by everyone everywhere. 
for eternity. I I don't know. It just seems it seems like a crux point. It seems like a turning point. You know, the the, the world is only so big, and it's just that we we have a limited perspective. It's just that we only see the world through our own eyes and what we impact and what we what we care about. You know, if you're a massive fan of Russian vodka, life's going to get pretty tough for you right now. And you'll be like, oh, man, I hope this war ends one way or the other way because I want that Russian vodka back. If you're a car enthusiast or you drive a lot or, you know, you, you know, you, 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 you're on a budget and petrol's hard, you're going to be going to be feeling it soon. And, you know, if you're in. Um, a country that sources a lot of its its wheat and grain from Russia or from Ukraine. There's going to be some food shortages. It's going to impact the world significantly. There's going to be a lot of downstream actions, the economic situation, the sanctions, all of this sort of stuff. And this is just presuming that nothing catastrophic happens. Because if something catastrophic happens, it's a whole different game plan and it's beyond thought. But that might happen too, right? We we, we take technology like nuclear weapons, like, <sighs> these technologies can literally end civilization, right? We've used them in war once, as a species, 70, 80 years ago. How long can we balance on that precipice? How long can we sit back knowing that we have this tech and it not be used? It's, it's m- miraculous that it hasn't. Part of me wishes or hopes or believes in the um, the multiverse theory that suggests that all outcomes that could have happened are happening simultaneously. And I just hope that I'm in that universe that doesn't resort to <laughs> doesn't resort to use of those things. Now, is this speculation? Is this hype? I don't know, but I just know that I've not existed in such a tumultuous time. I've not existed in such a historical historically changing time, right? I was born in the late 80s. So from, you know, yeah, the, there was the fall of communism, but I was a kid then. I have, I have zero recollection. So for me, history kind of started at September 11. But even so, I was early high school. I was a teenager and I didn't quite grasp exactly what was happening. I was ignorant, you know, focused on my own life. So really, the only real major stuff that has happened is happening now, has happened over the last couple of years. The mass protests, lockdowns, impact of or seeing the impact of the globalized systems, this war. And it sort of makes me realize, you know, I'm, I'm a massive study of history. I, I love looking into history, but I'm not a fan of living through it. I... I Every time you read a historical account, you get the individual accounts, but it's all it's 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 super hard to put yourself into their perspectives because you're not living it day by day. You know, you'll you'll study World War Two, for example, and you'll cover months or years in a few sentences, you know, or, or weeks or whatever. But on a day to day, hour by hour perspective, these people were sitting with that resting anxiety just hanging over their heads. <laughs> now, once again, maybe maybe I'm just prone to this anxiety. I remember one of my first memories, if not my first memory that I can remember, was me 
outside in my house, petrified over the first Gulf War, because as a young kid, I met, I just looked at the news on the TV. I saw the invasion of Iraq, and it freaked me out. I saw that there was sand there, and there was sand where I lived, and I'm like, oh my God, are we getting bombed? I was young, dumb, a child, right? And once I voiced those concerns to my mum, she promptly, you know, didn't let me watch the news again for a while, recognizing that it was uh, going well over my head and causing me a lot of fear and explained to me that this isn't happening where we are, it's happening over the other side of the world. But what that taught me was a few things. One, the news is terrifying. Two, it's it's very easy to get this existential dread for things that don't eventuate impacting me in any capacity. But because of the news media exposure, I'm forced to consume it. And I, I harp on about that all the time, so I won't do it again here. But oh, maybe maybe my mental state with my, my mental illnesses and my past and all of that sort of stuff predisposed me to, 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 to being vulnerable to this sort of stuff. Maybe. I, I I struggle to know if other people are as concerned as I am because I don't want to bring it up and don't want to talk about it for fear of causing them anxiety, for fear of being that person that's just a doom and gloom harbinger. <laughs> Once again, apologies if this podcast has caused that for you right now. Uh, but that's sort of what I use <laughs> this podcast for is to um, ruminate and meditate and uh, extrapolate upon my mind. You like that, Ryan? Um, <laughs> uh, so, but part of me wonders if if it's if it's just me. You know, do other people are they able to sit back and just look at the world and go, "Eh, look, we'll be right." I don't know. I see. I see other people just able to work full time. As an example, I've never been able to. Just, I can't do it. I can't function in that way. Before all of the coronavirus stuff, before any war stuff, just as a general life stress. I can't seem to manage to get up and go to work all day, every day, five days a week, seemingly for the rest of my life. I've tried it. For five or so years, I was a full-time teacher. And before that, I tried to do some full-time work as a McDonald's manager. They were my two major careers, quote-unquote. And I couldn't. I, to be honest, just wanted to kill myself. It, it it resulted in me taking so many sick days that I burnt through the sick day leave. I burnt through my annual leave and I was getting unpaid leave because I took so many days off. And almost all of those sick days were mental health sick days. It was me realizing that I can't. I just simply can't. And to, to get through it and to survive and what I thought the rest of my life would have to be was going to be me just doing that, struggling to pay the bills, struggling to survive, and then coming home to get stoned or drunk or cutting myself or going to sleep just to be able to muster the fortitude to do it again the next day. And I recognized that there was only so much that I could do that for. There's only so long before I would end up ending myself. And... Uh, it felt like at the time everyone I knew was in a similar boat, but then I took, you know, you take a step outside that social group and everyone else seems to be able to cope with it. The vast, vast, vast majority of everyone seemed to be able to just work, just do, 
perhaps it's due to my past. Perhaps it's due to my father not ever working. I never saw him work. He was literally an addict, a drug dealer, just surviving off government handouts and whatever he could grow and sell and make and sell to the to the fiends that lived next door to him. But the reality that I saw was one of a perpetual struggle until death. And then what's the point? And me in that mental state most certainly wasn't concerned with the global supply chain or climate change or the the positive or negative influences of AI or the the dissemination of information through social media and the news cycle or corruption or any of the other things that bother me now, right? And and it sort of makes me wonder is like how will I ever get to a stage where I am just content? Will I ever get to a stage where I can just simply be and be in this moment? I don't know. It's it, it, it boggles my mind. I guess part of the reason that I have this podcast and I do the creative writing and everything that I do online is as a outlet because from the start of this talk to now, just expressing myself is a little bit, I feel a little bit better. So then it's like now I'm thinking, well, maybe I should talk about it with people in person more. Maybe I should express it and connect and relate. But the problem is, is that if I start sharing my thoughts down this process, down this path, then they share them back. And I'm, you know, given my first memory, like I said, with the news, but in general, I'm quite hypersensitive to other people's moods, emotions, and feelings. And what tends to happen is I can share my my woes and sort of get this sort of healing that I'm getting by talking with you now. But the act of responding to your worries just makes me far more anxious, you know, and, and like I say one thing to you, you say it back and now we're bouncing off anxiety. We're pinging each other because if you're also concerned about what I'm concerned about, now we're both concerned and we're just going down this rumination path together and there's no end to it. Because you hear, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And we're just motivated to make each other more anxious. So part of me turns to this podcast. Part of me turns to my psychologist. Part of me turns to writing as a way to to be able to express things safely. I've got a, a, a new book of poetry that I'm going to release very soon. I'm in the final stages of editing it. And um, maybe that's why I'm, I'm in this mood. I'm calling it Bound to the Wings of a Butterfly, and it's a collection of maybe 60 or so poems, and the title is based on this idea of the chaos theory, you know, bound to the wings of a butterfly. The, the your butterfly flaps its wings, and it causes a hurricane somewhere else. Now, obviously, that's, that's um, an interesting hypothesis, but my logic is that every event, every aspect of my past has subtly or not so subtly impacted my life and has caused me to go down to where I am now. Perhaps my personality, ability to cope, all of that sort of stuff is caused in part or fully by the events of my past. We can tie direct correlations between some and some of them are sort of cumulative, but each poem sort of was written as an act of writing therapy. Each poem was healing, but each poem represents one of these moments of my past. So I'll let you know when that comes out. But perhaps that's put me into this mindset. Perhaps that has has made me uh, far more contemplative. Because I tell you what, 
reading over my work and dissecting it and talking about it and, you know, recording the audio book and editing it and listening to my voice and all of this sort of stuff really brings the, um, <laughs> the, 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 the inner demons to the forefront of the mind. And that process is healing, but it's also confronting. It's, it's, it's like ripping a bandaid off a wound, cleaning out the wound and redressing it. It hurts. It's necessary, but ugh, it's not. Mm. So then I wonder, like, why am I doing this? Why do I, why do I put myself out so much? And part of it's a compulsion. I feel the need to share. I feel that the more people share and talk, maybe we'll get some more understanding. And if you are getting understandings from my work from this podcast, good. If you enjoy or get something from it, then perhaps it will encourage you to share it and talk with other people. And now you're sharing my work and a a conversation is starting in a positive mind about mental health and all of that sort of stuff, maybe. Part of me is also doing as a job, as a form of income. The more, the more books that I sell, the more um, Skillshare courses that people sign up for, etc., etc. The less uh, wage slave drudgery I have to live through. I know that I won't be able to sustain work in a traditional sense forever. So perhaps by creating and selling books, I can create a income stream that will both be helpful and ongoing and over time will build up. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to report that I'm now able to pay my rent through my writing and online work, which is an absolute phenomenal occurrence, something that I, <laughs> I'm super proud of myself for, to be honest, and um, wasn't expecting to happen, at least not this soon. So thank you to everyone for, for that sort of support. But it, 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 it more than anything provides hope. The, the amount of hours that I put into this stuff is out of this world. It, it, ironically, I do far more than a full-time work week. It's, it's, I just, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking about it, always working, always editing, always writing. But the fact that I'm working for myself and that I'm creating something of worth that you are finding, you know, worthwhile in purchasing even though I put everything out there for free and you can get it for free, people are still buying it. <laughs> it's it's super, um, I don't know, it's good. It gives me hope and it means that I'll be able to both keep doing this and also, uh, to be dramatic, I suppose, to live. I mean, it's not it's not a stretch to say that I was on a downward path before I turned and found writing. So perhaps what I'll do is I'll put a link to a couple of my uh, writing therapy courses one on Skillshare and one on Insight Timer. And if you want to support what I'm doing here and also are um, interested in the idea of writing, you can check one or both of those out. Signing up to them helps me and it may help you. And I also encourage you to um, stay tuned for when the book Bound to the Wings of a Butterfly comes out. So I'll remind you of those at the end of the podcast. But yeah, a bit of a rambling talk right now. In terms of... Um, in terms of things that are on my mind that I'm struggling to deal with and manage and cope. The last one that I wanted to address is food. I have long struggled with food. If you were to look at me, look at my body disposition, look at my uh, exercise regime, look at you know my physicality, it may be hard to consider that I'd have the level of issues that I do. 
but nonetheless I do. I've long thought that I've got the trauma sampler. You know, sometimes my symptoms present as um, dissociation. Other times they present as like a personality disorder or ADHD or autism or all of these other things that it's it's sort of like a psychologist of mine suggested that all complex trauma of the likes of my childhood is like a multi-headed hydra. It presents in a whole variety of different ways and thus people with similar pasts to me often get misdiagnosed. My main issues seem to be anxiety um, and dissociation. But underlying or in addition to a lot of that is food-based issues. I've been known to um, binge and purge. I've been known to um, block out whole chunks of foods. I've been known to just struggle. And it's finally come to a head that I just, I want to just address this. One of the things that my brother always gives me shit about is when I eat, I will eat super fast he will have taken one or two bites and my plate will be empty. And that's been like that for my entire life. And I've had people just, you know, eat mindfully, chew more, all of this sort of stuff. But there's so many levels of complexity to this that it feels like a knot. I struggle to know when I'm hungry. I struggle to know when I'm full. I struggle to know what foods to eat, how much to eat. It feels like an absolute mess. I was talking to my psychologist about it and she she said something to me that was on one part shocking, but also not at all shocking. Um, she basically said to me that the way that I talk about food, the way that I'm relating to food, seems like I should be three times as large. I should be quite overweight, or I should be quite underweight, as in anorexic. But the fact, it, it, it seemed odd initially that I would have these issues but I explained to her a variety of different, a variety of different um, instances from my past and influences on the present. So we're, we're sort of talking about it. She gave me the the homework to basically do a food journal, a food diary, and just mindfully observe how I feel when I'm eating. And in three weeks between sessions, I've not felt worse about food, to be honest, because I was mindfully looking at my body and my mind. I felt tension, just a physical just tension. I felt fear. I felt the desire to run. My my goal was to um, eat food without eat food mindfully. Just just eat the food and observe. No TV, no book, no nothing. Just 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 eat. And oh my god, I felt triggered. I just didn't want to be there. And I felt similar issues to feelings of fear or deep triggering. I felt issues relating to sort of belly health. If I do a lot of core exercises, I feel the same. Just not right. So went back to the psychologist a couple of days ago, talked through this and, you know, potentially looking at um, EMDR based around food as an intervention option because because right now it's it's not working. I, I simply, I have, it's like, it's like I don't have a connection to, to my, to food. It's like I use food to run or escape. And in the same way, I might use sex or drugs to do the same. It's like I don't want to be in my mind and I will binge on one of those things. And then halfway through the binge, I wake up and it's like, well, I'm already halfway here. May as well keep going. And I just eat. And this correlates to body issues and gender dysmorphia and addiction and inebriation and hypersexuality and all of these 
tidying issues and even just it sort of like feels like this absolute rumination based ugh, just a mess and once again i'm um <laughs> using uh using the podcast as therapy so thank you um if you are still listening to this for listening um honestly i don't know what you get out of it <laughs> um i i sometimes wonder on the other side of things because i know that I get messages talking about people connecting and enjoying these breakdowns and discussions and podcasts and blogs and poems and all that sort of stuff. But from my end, it's, it feels very selfish. It feels very personal. It feels very, um, you know, me being the artist drawing my pain upon the page. And yet perhaps I can do it in a way that will be healing. I don't know. Anyway, I, 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 I guess I'll leave it there. I, um, I remind you about the upcoming book, Bound to the Wings of a Butterfly. I'll put out a podcast where I specifically talk about and promote it. And I also encourage you to check out the writing therapy courses on Insight Timer and Skillshare that I've got up. Um, you can access the Skillshare course for free, uh, one month via the link, and you can get the rest of my courses as well as the thousands of others. And you can access the Insight Timer course either through the Insight Timer app membership or a once-off, I think it's like 20 bucks for my course. It's a 10-day course that will take you all the way through it. And you can access all the other courses and stuff there too. So check it out. And yeah, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. Um, that really does help boost it. And if you know someone that would appreciate this, this absolute ramble, um, send it to them. Anyway, cheers. Cheers.